I got to keep doing it. I said I was going to go for a year. I got to do it for at least a year or I got to go see 30 countries or I got to do this. I got to hit this spot. I got to make it to Bali and you don't. You really don't. Hello and welcome to this episode of Tripology. I'm Alan, and I'm here with the ever-inquisitive Adam. Alan, how are you doing, mate? Oh, I'm ever so good. Today, I'm even better than usual, Adam, because here on Tripology, we're very lucky to have a guest on the podcast. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Who is it? (laughs) We've got someone who I think we both admire in the travel space. They're an author, a tour guide, the host of the eminent website, WanderingEarl.com. It's my pleasure to introduce onto the podcast, Derek Barrett. Cool. Hey, guys. How's it going? Very good. Thank you, Derek. How are you doing today? Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, really cool. Looking forward to chat with you. Such a pleasure to have you here on Tropology, the Travellers podcast, a podcast where we're really building a community of travellers who all think the same way about travel, who share a travel philosophy. And I think you're someone who, as soon as I became aware of WanderingIll.com and the stuff you're doing in the travel space, read the book that you produced on travelling, I thought we have to get this guy on the podcast to talk a little bit about what it means to be a traveler. Yeah, cool. No, that's it's uh, definitely, I think, a, a topic worth exploring because I think there's many layers to it that uh, a lot of people don't think about. They just think travel and that's it. Everything gets, uh, you know, grouped together. But uh, there is many different ways to go about it and many things to keep in mind, I think, when we travel to really ensure that we gain the most from it and that the places that we visit gain the most from travelers as well so i think that's a it's an important thing to discuss yeah that's fantastic and um if you could just tell us a little bit about what it is you're doing at the moment that would be great sure so um i've, I've been a travel blogger since uh, about 2008 um, but i've actually been traveling non-stop since 1999 so i took off on a uh, I was supposed to be a three-month trip to Southeast Asia after I graduated university, and then I was going to go home and start my career uh, as a sports agent, oddly enough. Um, but I did not, uh, yeah, that trip never ended. I mean, a, a couple of weeks into that uh, first trip, I decided to travel forever, was my idea. I, didn't, I never thought that would actually happen. I thought forever would be about a year, but uh, yeah, it's been 23 years now, so it's been all kinds of adventures. I worked on cruise ships. I um, I was travel blogging, and then in 2013, I sort of turned my travel blog into a tour company um, as my audience started to ask if they could travel with me. So now we're running uh, tours to about 20 different countries. Wow. Uh, this year, we have about 50, 50 different tours to 20 different countries, and um, yeah, that's become sort of my, my main thing. It's been it's been awesome. That's incredible. And the tour company that you run, does it run tours in countries that you... Uh, maybe have specific fond memories in or or was there sort of logistic and business concerns as well? How's that working? Um, All of the countries that we operate tours in are countries that I know well from my own personal travels. So our itineraries are quite unique, a ton of local interaction, a ton of hanging out with my friends or going to places that tourists don't normally go, spending nights in towns and villages that are if you were to look them up on TripAdvisor, you wouldn't see any much about them, but we go there because we have contacts there. And we can really put together some cool stuff. So that's always the main main uh, uh, purpose of all the trips. And we don't run a tour anywhere if uh, if we don't have those contacts or I don't have that experience uh, in place already. Wow! So it's almost like um, as close as experience as, as you're going to get to the way that you've travelled previously. I imagine totally. And that's that's so still being part of a tour. Yeah, exactly. That's the idea. It's that we have actually a lot of people that come on the trips who are usually solo travellers. But uh, they kind of are quite surprised that it works for them because that's sort of how we we try to create it is that it's we create the structure is there. But your the activities that you're actually doing, since they're small groups, no more than about 12 or 13 people. Um, it's really as if I was doing the stuff that I that I would do if, if, if uh, it was just me traveling on my own. Yeah. Amazing. Incredible that there's a service in which, you know, travelers can benefit from your wealth of experience in that travel space. I mean, that's an incredible number. I think you you visited over 130 countries, right? You really uh, have put in the numbers in in travel. (laughs) And 
when I was reading some of the, some of the articles that you've written, sort of in the travel space, what really spoke to me was was this idea that you, it was quite uh, spontaneous your idea to continue to travel. It was originally going to be a much shorter mm-hmm. sojourn, and then. Yeah. Also, your kind of entrepreneurial spirit in sort of leveraging your experiences into being able to travel more. Maybe we can talk a, a little bit about that. I think you, yeah. you have described starting with kind of just over a thousand dollars and how you've made that sort of last. Yeah, for sure. I mean, honestly, the the one thing that I will credit, sure, there's some lucky things fell into place, and uh, that's for sure. But I, I really believe that uh, you know, talking to as many people as you can keeping your eyes and ears open. That's really all it took for me. I had no plan. I had about 1500 bucks to my name when I took that three month trip. It was dwindling quickly. I decided I wanted to travel forever. I didn't have a plan. And everything that has happened since then is 100%. I could credit it to simply saying hello to somebody and having a conversation and learning new ideas of what they're doing. You know, somebody recommended I teach English in Chiang Mai, Thailand at the time. This was back in 2000. And so I went and did that. That helped me, kept me going for a bit. Somebody I met in Chiang Mai told me about working as a tour manager on cruise ships, gave me a contact. Next thing I know, I'm a tour manager on cruise ships. Uh, a friend I met on the cruise ships told me about a travel blog one day. He's like, hey, man, have you heard of these travel blogs? I was like, what the heck is that? You know, back in 2007, 2008, he's like, you should really look, at, look it up. Like, you should do one. And I started researching about it and started a travel blog. I mean, everything that's been, that's happened is literally from just keeping my eyes and ears open. And, and I really feel that anybody could follow in that because it's really nothing spectacular. All I did was talk to people and see what matches my abilities, my interests, and uh, see where it goes from there. I think this is often, like I've heard other travelers and people in the long-term travel community describe this experience of kind of lucky happenstance you know they've met just the right person and they've spoken to someone who can help them leverage their skills but of course this is the perhaps the big skill of being a perpetual nomad is having that open-mindedness to have conversations with the right people having an open heart to introduce yourself to the right people I think perhaps that is the greatest asset that a traveler can have I think it'd be cool for the listening audience of this podcast to understand that that kind of going into a hostel or a social travel situation with a yep. smile and a willingness to communicate is perhaps mm-hmm. the uh, a huge driving force. And obviously you've leveraged that to uh-huh. great success. 100%. I always say like, you just need the word hello. That's it. I mean, you really, you can spend your days traveling, throwing that word out there, which is a pretty simple word uh, to as many people as you can. What will happen just from saying hello to people? is pretty much is pretty remarkable. I mean, that's how all the stuff that's happened to me happened. I didn't have any plan beyond saying hello to people and seeing what they had to say. And uh, if if you can manage that, then uh, I'm fairly confident you'll be surprised at uh, what opportunities come your way and, and what beautiful experiences that uh, that you'll have. That's, yeah, it's so encouraging to hear. I mean, we're obviously at the, I would say, probably the beginning of our journey. But was there a time uh, over the last 20 years where you thought, hang on, this is really viable? I could see myself sustaining a life on the road for forever. Uh, yeah. So for the first several years, it was a bit rough. But then, uh, honestly, once I started working on cruise ships for the first time, I was like, you know, I, I ended up paying off my student loan, saving a little bit of money. I was like, wow, I'm actually choosing to travel with money that I saved from working on this cruise ship. I was like, this alone is could be sustainable. And I was meeting people who had been working on ships for 20 years and doing it. You know, at some point I was like, okay, I want to do something else. So I, I looked for other opportunities and same thing. I, I luckily started the travel blog at the right time where there weren't many travel blogs. Sure. And it wasn't too long after I wrote my first couple posts that, you know, I saw, I got a comment from a stranger. It was like, oh, great post. That's really interesting. And as soon as I got that first comment from somebody that wasn't a family member, <laughs> or a good friend, that's honestly when it clicked. I was like, well, if one person can find this and like it, there's no reason why a thousand, 10,000 people can't find this and like it. That's just, that's on me now. So if I can put in the work to figure out how to get this in front of 10,000 people, then there are opportunities and uh, this could actually be something. So yeah, it was about that time when I started with the blogging and uh, audience started to appear that, uh, I had these ideas to take it a little more seriously and uh, maybe this traveling thing could actually 
be something beyond, um, yeah, worrying about constantly having, you know, a few hundred bucks in my pocket and worrying where I'm going to, where I'm going to get the next money, you know, batch of money from. Yeah. One thing I just want to touch on there is that it sounds like it's happened over a number of years and it's been fairly organic, your sort of growth and your sustained life on the road. I worry now that um, people who are looking to quit their, let's say their day to day or their day job, um, Monday to Friday, nine to five office job is always the cliche. Maybe people are looking for um, immediate gratification is something that, you know, they already want to uh, just quit their job, make that decision, but then have a well-established life on the road. And it doesn't quite happen like that even now, I don't think. <laughs> Absolutely does not happen that way. I mean, I get emails all the time. People are like, oh, I want to quit my job or I just quit my job. And now I'm trying to figure out how do I be a digital nomad? <laughs> and like, I always reply, I'm like, I mean, a digital nomad is not a job. That's not a job. Like, <laughs> you can't, like, that's a lifestyle but you need the job part and that part you have to figure out. And it's probably a good idea to figure that out before you quit your job because it, in the overwhelming majority of cases, it takes time. It takes effort. It's not something that you can just snap your fingers. I mean, there's a reason why most of the digital nomad hotspots are in very also inexpensive places because everybody's trying to figure it out and it, it takes time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not Singapore is not a digital nomad hotspot because it's expensive and people, you know, most people are just trying to figure it out, which is which is what you should do um, before you make that leap, because uh, that's that's an important part. And if you already quit your job, go to one of these places that is relatively inexpensive where you can be around other like minded people, share ideas. And but you have to really focus on building something because it doesn't work if you're 75 percent traveling and socializing and 25% work. I mean, something that's going to truly sustain you, just like anything, you got to build it. It takes a ton of time, takes a ton of effort. Yeah, I mean, that's the reality. It's an interesting juxtaposing of ideas, isn't it? I think often as people who have lived the long-term nomadic lifestyle, we're often very quick and keen to tell people like the, the first and most important step is to is to leave the house and get on a, a plane. And then right. there's the yep. other kind of antithetical mindset, which is if you want this to be as sustainable and perpetual as possible, then perhaps having an infrastructure set up with a, a way of earning money maybe it's advantageous to get all that stuff sorted before you go. I mean, you obviously left and began your trip prior to having thought about any of that stuff. Is that a path that you would recommend to listeners of this podcast who maybe have in their mind that eventually they would like to monetize travel? Is it just important that first they kind of take the step and begin the travel journey and think about that stuff later on? I mean, it's a tricky one because... You have to do a lot of thinking and a lot of soul searching because the other aspect of it, I've met and talked to a ton of people who have done this, quit their job, gone out to travel, get super excited, dedicated to building something. And then after six months, realize travel is really not for them on the road constantly. Because I always say, you know, when I get people who say to me, oh, I would love to live your lifestyle. <clears throat> my first response is you probably wouldn't. You know, I just happen to start early and keep going. So it's, it's all that I know. <laughs> But for most people, being away from family, friends, not having a, a home base, living out of a suitcase, having to constantly figure out where you're going next and then adjusting to new cultures and new countries nonstop, flying all over the place, it's not really that appealing. So I think that's it sounds maybe a bit sexy, the lifestyle in any format, but I think people really need to have a good think because the beauty of these days is you can have this lifestyle in any form that works for you. If you want to stay at home with family and friends for six months of the year and then go take six months to go bounce around and, and you know create something from that, that's possible. If you want to stay in a place for two months and every two months change to a different destination, that's possible. I mean, so there's many very infinite variations, and I think it's really important to figure out what works best for you to avoid getting burnt out or doing something that in the end is just not a good match. I really like what you just said. I think you describe travel as seeming sexy. And I think so often it's like reduced to a hashtag and an Instagram photo yeah. and people yeah, like totally. aspire to it as if it was this kind of plastic material thing that they can sort of yeah. purchase and have and enjoy. But <laughs> I think it's, it's a really nice kind of warning thought that this this thing that you think is real, that is travel, might not really exist in the in the sense that you think it right. does. We had a episode that we put out a while ago was on mental health and mm -hmm. travel, and we discussed a little bit about yeah. how 
how sometimes you can you can go traveling to try and solve a, a bunch of issues that might be occurring in your life but ultimately like travel is a it becomes about the self right it becomes about yeah. meeting yourself on the road that's something that yeah. me and adam are both really passionate about i would love to hear how travels kind of helped you grow as a human being aside from gathering experiences like how are you different yeah for sure i mean obviously the you have this, the basic stuff of being put into all kinds of situations that i never imagined that i would ever be in or meeting people that i never imagined i would meet and that alone is just giving my own brain more feedback and more information to rely on as i deal with my own issues like everybody else um so i i do feel very fortunate in that aspect to have such a long list of experiences that you know that have really had a, a great effect on me that i can rely on uh when you know when i'm facing challenges and things like that so that that aspect has been great however what you said also is very valid i mean i also have on the opposite side there's definitely plenty of issues as a result of the constant travel i mean i can't deny that because I am, I'm sure my addiction to constantly bouncing around the world, I'm sure there's plenty of psychologists that would love to explain, explain that to me. Um, so there is that aspect of it. But at the end of the day, for, for me, it's been much more healthy than, it, you know, detrimental. And uh, I think that really is just from, I, I mean, even now after 130 countries, just having my, my mind blown so many times that, uh, experiences that i'm having and and just gathering all this unique information that uh from especially from conversations with people i meet all over the world that really helps me and um just increases that uh size of the database that i use when i need to make decisions or, or deal with anything yeah i think it's so refreshing to hear you say that and both in your book and then uh, just then you described your feelings towards travel as an addiction and Alan and I have used that term in the past to refer to how we feel about travel. I just wondered if you could kind of expand on that and what a travel addiction kind of means to you and how it, of course, affects your life. For sure. And I think there's definitely several layers of that. I'm sure there's me not settling in one place for, for a reason or so that keeps me addicted to something that is uh, helping me avoid um, <laughs> yeah. probably the commitments of being in one place. That's one thing. But then the better part of it is the, honestly, for me, it's the addiction to the people because every day that I'm traveling, I remind myself like, wow, I am coming into contact with people that I would never have met if I never left home. And to me, that's, that's what's kept me on the road. If it was just about the sights and, and seeing cool places, honestly, I would have stopped after five years. Totally. Totally would have stopped. Like it's amazing stuff, but not enough to keep me going nonstop. It's just it's really just those interactions. And sometimes it's a handshake, that's it, or a smile, that's it. And, and, and that's the whole interaction. But the fact that it's happening between so many different cultures and people that also would never have imagined meeting me, you know, wherever I happen to be, and I would never imagine meeting them because we would never know about each other, then um, that is actually what, uh, what keeps me going. And that's, yeah, that's what, that's basically what I fight against when I, because I am tired now after 20 plus years. So I would like to have a whole base, but that's what keeps drum, you know, pulling me out uh, again is that, uh, knowing that that's what awaits. If I, if I do get out this, it, it's quite addicting. I mean, it's, it's very powerful to, uh, yeah, you just don't know what kind of conversation you're going to have, what you're going to learn. And, and, uh, yeah, that's a tough, tough, uh, tough addiction to break. It's so easy, isn't it, to see travel as this exercise in place. And I think when I yeah. started traveling, I definitely had a list of places that I wanted to to see. Yeah. But then like you, all my favorite experiences are, are now seen through the lens of the people who I was with when I saw them, you know? Totally. I think yeah. that it definitely, definitely becomes this human experience as opposed to a geographical one. I think that's a really insightful point that you just made. Yeah, 100%. You know, I always say that... It probably does. if you have that mindset it really doesn't matter where you go like you know if you go into india it really doesn't matter just pick five places doesn't matter if anyone's been there before it doesn't it really doesn't matter if you have that kind of mindset because you're going to end up with a ton of rewards and, and memorable experiences and really deep connections doesn't matter like so i think that's a that's an important aspect especially these days because like you mentioned before unfortunately I don't know what the statistic is, but I think I did see, so it was in like the eighties, like 80% plus trips now are planned based on, you know, what people see on Instagram. So, oh, wow. Wow. yeah, it's, 
that's that's all usually place based versus uh, yeah where the real benefits come from. So I think that's a that's a, that's an interesting one. Which surely means as well that the the actual travel community sort of changes as as a whole because you'll get all these people who are being directed via this social media visual yeah. and and therefore the the community as a whole will change right as it must so i think yeah. really cool thing for the tropology audience to hear is maybe try and be directed by the idea of people and yeah. by kindness i think is a huge thing you yeah. said that a smile and a handshake is often yeah. the thing that creates opportunity for you on the road so i mean let's encourage the listening audience to travel with a human-centric kindness focused approach and i think that will lead to more beautiful sustainable vibrant travel as they go forward no i i, I agree completely if your focus is on that honestly like with the tours that we that we actually run oddly enough usually on the first day if me or one of my other tour leaders asks the group like do you know where we're going most of the time, they have no idea. So we might be in <laughs> Bucharest, Romania, ready for a two-week tour of Romania. Most of probably we'll probably say Transylvania, but the specific places, no idea, because they know that the focus of our trips is really on having these cool interactions, these really interesting, you know, genuine local experiences. The places we're going to see are going to be awesome, but it's not where the, all the rewards come from. So they're happy to be there, regardless of even the fact that they, you know are coming on a trip without even really knowing where they're, where they're going. It's the same when we do tours in India or Morocco or stuff like that. It's the same. Um, so that's, yeah, I think it's something that can't be said uh, enough. Yeah, wow. And I always think as well, often the best parts of my travel journey are always things that can't be planned. So, you know, one memory that, yeah. that I have is very vivid memory is when I was riding a motorbike through Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you've ridden motorbikes in the past, but if you're, um, there's no way that I could really articulate just how sort of tired, how exhausted I was on that motorbike trip, riding through, you know, a very small village. And you know what it's like on a motorbike. I didn't have a full face helmet. I was swallowing lots of insects along the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very tired and hungry. And then I went through this one stretch through some rice paddies and some sort of forest. And there were thousands of yellow butterflies swarming across the road. And I just remember riding right through them and they were everywhere and I didn't hit one. It was, it was just like they were almost parting around my face. And I got to the other side of that. And because, you know, emotionally I was so drained and I was so fatigued and I just in this breathtaking thing, I'd been right through this swarm of yellow butterflies. It was absolutely stunning. But I, how do you, I can't get that across to someone who's never traveled. And, and those are the moments that you remember. Yeah. That's the problem. We're up that that what you just described is up against a picture, a totally beautifully edited photo of a place on social media. That's it, and you're not going to win. Mm, yeah, and I think that's that's the tricky part. You can't win because that's going instantly out to tons of people. It looks unbelievable. Nobody really has the time to listen to that story and and process it and try and imagine what that would be like and translate that to what they should do to have the own their own experience. And I think that's the tricky part. The best that you can do is to keep sharing the story so that hopefully somebody hears it's like that's the, that's the kind of travel i want to do that's what i want to be open to is those kind of experiences because like i said i mean that's the beautiful stuff that's the magic that's the magic of it all right there until we can digitally transmit feelings over the airways people are just going to have to get on a plane aren't they <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's just the facts of it yeah it seems that way yeah it seems that way <laughs> you said something really interesting before which was about now you have a growing desire for a home base, you know, after traveling for such a long period of time. That's something that I would like to maybe discuss a little bit more because I, I think I've gone in, in the years that I've been traveling kind of from having a revulsion to the idea of a home base and rejecting that idea entirely. <laughs> and, and I know Adam's now having this kind of, yeah experience where he's quite enjoying being set up in in Canada and we've had an episode where we talked a bit about home and what the idea of home was I'm at the moment at odds with the idea of home I certainly feel like my backpack is home more than anything else but I'm also sort of seeking home in friends and in family and learning more about the importance of that so could we talk a little bit more about that the idea of wanting a, a base now totally and I think like I mean there's there's no right way right so you just have as long as you check in with yourself 
as often as you can and you are following the lifestyle that matches you perfectly, then I think that's the key, right? So for forever, for, for a good 17 years, 18 years, um, every time I checked in with myself, I was like, let's go, let's keep going. Like, this is home. Like you said, this is home. Wherever I am, I'm having these experiences. This is what I want. This is, this is it. Like, I don't want to be in one place for a long time. Um, for me, it started about five years ago. I don't think it's a coincidence that, uh, I mean, it's definitely uh, connected with the fact that the tour started growing at that point as well. And in the, when they were starting to grow, I was leading a, a, most of the tours. So I was bouncing around constantly. I was, you know, I was doing even 12, 14 tours per year, which is, which is a lot to lead. And um, I think I did start to get a little bit tired. And the idea as a result of having a home base to go to in between the tours would be ideal. Yeah, wow. Um, with that said, for all the reasons we've discussed, my addiction continued and I have not done it. Uh, with that said, I am officially going to do it this summer. So I, I need to do it. It's like I, now I'm at the point I just need to do it. I need to do it. Um, it's been 23 years. I need to at least have a place to come back to and have some clothes in a, in a closet and uh, a familiar bed. It's just this is where I am at this point. So just a bit tired and, and need to have that. So I think, uh, you know, everybody who's out there has their own ways. I, I have friends who I know will do this forever. And that's, you know, every time they check in with themselves, they want to keep going. And then I have friends who went and said, I'm going, I'm going to go trial for 10 years. And after six months, they went and got a home base because that's what they needed. So, you know, for me, I'm just tired. Like that's, it's just been a long time of, you know, not being around family, friends and uh, living out of the suitcase. And it's been unbelievable, obviously. So that's separate from the, from the exhaustion, but, uh, yeah, I just need a, a little bit more uh, stability. I actually think that's really cool that you have the uh, oh. the self-insight and ability to kind of understand that about your situation. I think that that's about personal growth, isn't it? It's about understanding who you are, looking back on your collection of experiences, understanding when it's time to like begin new chapters in the novel that is the experience of life. That's cool. Totally. I think, and I think honestly for everybody who's out there living it, the lifestyle in whatever way, I mean, also you have to have the understanding that there is no right way to do it. I mean, I, there's a bit, which I kind of sometimes sense like competition, not competition, but pe- or at least people feel like, Oh, I got to keep going. Like I, I got to keep doing it. I said I was going to go for a year. I got to do it for at least a year or I got to go see 30 countries or I got to do this. I got to hit this spot. I got to make it to Bali and and this place, like you don't, you really don't. Like you just have to do what what works best for you. And yeah, 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 that's right. everybody's changing all the time, which is a good thing because it means people are focusing on themselves and and trying to understand themselves and, and make decisions that are the best for themselves at any given point. So I think it's it's important to not get caught up in that. And just there's a billion ways to do this, and just whatever works for you, do it because that's that's the only way you're going to actually gain the most from it. Be healthy, you know, maintain your sanity, and uh, yeah, and it, it really be what you actually dream of. So, Adam, is that something you empathize with as well? Because I definitely resonate with that idea of, <laughs> if not a, a competitive drive to keep on traveling, certainly like a, a drive within myself of like this narrativization of my travel as a whole, where, you know, it's nicer to say, oh, I've been on the road perpetually for 10 years than it is to say I was there for four years and then I took a year during the pandemic and stuff. So I definitely have this narrative in my head of what I want my trip to be. And I try and sustain that sometimes to the detriment of my overall happiness. <laughs> Adam, do you feel that as well, that competitive drive? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, I meet people like yourself, Derek, and you're you're so inspiring. I think, God, I wish I'd done that. And why didn't I think of that? And, you know, if I could turn back the hands of time and this kind of thing. But uh, I think also what drives me is just, recognizing that in terms of my physical condition having two hands two legs you know two eyes that work i can smell and taste and i don't want to sort of go down this morbid pathway you know but um but i think recognizing that that the time is now and i can go and run 10 kilometers tomorrow morning if i want and uh, travel physically is is taxing some of it is difficult and some of the best things that i've ever done were challenging physically so um, sure. yep. that's another thing that drives me take the opportunity when you have it yeah totally i totally especially to have that freedom where you could really choose almost any place uh, while you're able to then <laughs> it uh yeah i mean that that's a huge difference um you can go and be as adventurous as you want now and uh i feel yeah that's important and if that's something that you know is important to anyone you, you know you, it's taking advantage of it uh 
when the time is right is key because now these days it's possible you know you don't have to wait to till retirement to, to start ticking some of these stuff off and really having these special experiences and i think when you do it when you're really able to um yeah it's even more rewarding and i think on that uplifting point let's take this opportunity to punctuate the paragraph of this episode. We can all take stock of what we've learned, have a think back on what's been said, and we'll have a a very brief meditation break. Always good to come back to tropology after very briefly just thinking about what's been said. And I think that uplifting note about being grateful for the trip, whilst also aware of what's going on in our own minds and taking stock of when new chapters should begin, I think that's a really positive place to to start. The second half of the episode, Adam, why don't you kick it off? What needs to be said? Well, one thing um, that we love sharing on this podcast are travel stories you know, things that have happened to us while we've been away. And of course, there are very few people who are as well-traveled as you, Derek. So is it possible for you to share a story with us from your time away? Sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, we can go with the kidnapping in Bangladesh story. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like a good one. <laughs> Straight in at the top. I love it. This actually was a really interesting story because it taught me a lot of lessons. And um, yeah, fascinating story where I just uh, I was flying from Bangkok to Bangladesh and the uh, flight was delayed by about 10 hours. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't going to arrive until uh, around midnight. And I had a guidebook at the time and it said, if you arrive in Bangladesh after sunset, stay in the airport until sunrise. So I was like, whatever. So I, I went out. <laughs> sure enough, at the time, the military unlocked the gate, like to leave the airport building, they had to unlock the gate, like this big, huge padlock. And suddenly I was just mobbed by about uh, a big group of taxi drivers. They were all around me, all trying to get my business, yelling this, that, blah, where are you going, blah, blah, blah. I had no idea. I was so overwhelmed. I just picked one guy because he spoke a little bit of English. I picked him. He grabbed my bag. We walked across the car park. And next thing I know, they put me in a car with uh, four other taxi drivers. So one got in the driver's seat, one in the front, and then they put me in the middle and one on each side. And off we went. And... Uh, First, we stopped at the petrol station. It was a very light kidnapping. They they, uh, they made me pay pay to fill up the, the car with petrol. So I was like, okay, that's a bit odd, but we'll see. Then I repeated where I was going, and they said, oh, we're not taking you there. So I was like, okay. We ended up in this slum area uh, outside of Dhaka where they knocked on this like metal roll-up garage gate thing, which opened a little bit. I went in, and the next thing I know, they put me into this room and locked the door, and... Um, had somebody guarding the room out front. Basically, long story short, is they kept me for, for three days there and in another location. And they were not the most skilled kidnappers. So they didn't actually steal my stuff. Uh, they tried to get me every day to go to ATMs and take out money. Right. So I wasn't stupid. So I would just type in the wrong PIN number and be like, oh, I guess this one doesn't work either. And like, it just kept going on and on. And they were getting frustrated. They were trying to demand I give them cash. I think I, in the end, I gave them like a hundred bucks uh, that I had. Oh and this went on for three days. And finally, we tried some more ATMs on the third day. Didn't work. They brought me back to the place they were holding me. And they said, go up to your room, grab your stuff. We're moving you somewhere else. So as I went up and grabbed my stuff on my way back down the stairs, I noticed at the end of the hallway on like the second floor was one of those like a fire exit with like metal stairs going to the street. I literally just ran down the hall, down the street, got into a rickshaw and went to the hotel that I wanted to go to three days before and started my Bangladesh experience finally. So wow, that was pretty interesting. Oh my goodness. Because <laughs> that was like really taught me to be like very, I was very observant. I honestly, I, I've stayed so safe during my travels and I credit that experience as being one that really forced me to be so aware of so many little nuances of the situations around me to uh, to make sure I do stay safe. And um, yeah, that was a pretty wild one. Luckily for me, they were did not complete the course in how to be a good kidnapper, clearly. But uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's going on psychologically during the three days? Like, yeah. 
First night, I was so exhausted from waiting at the airport in uh, Bangkok. The flight made it an extra unscheduled stop in Myanmar. Like It was the most ridiculous journey. And I was so dead that I tried to lay down. I was in this room with this, it was disgusting, cockroach. It was so disgusting. But I kind of passed out a little bit on the on the bed. The other days, I realized the next day when they took me that there were no weapons. Right. And they didn't take my stuff. So I was like, okay, well, I should probably just try and ride this out. If they're not, you know, there wasn't an immediate threat to my safety that I could see. So I just was like waiting for time for, I, I just figured at some point it would have to end somehow. Uh, and luckily there was that opportunity to escape. So I, I just, honestly, I was in Bangladesh, first time in Bangladesh. So I just, it's kind of how I am in general as a person. I just was like, I got to stay calm and just figure out what's going on and make a move when the time is right. And luckily there was a, there was a time. So you had an instinct that being calm and cool was kind of the way to, to play it. Yeah. I guess, do you think that instinct was informed by your travel experience? Yeah. Would you have been less chill had that been like the first time you'd gone abroad? So funny you say that. So I, it, so right before I traveled, I actually did a, one of the 10-day Vipassana silent retreats, if you know of those. Oh, well. Yeah. Nice. I've, I've been on one. There you go. So I did one actually in uh, California and... Uh, I, it's not like I was somebody who was like crazy extrovert and wild and had a temper or anything before that, but uh, I definitely became calmer <laughs> after that. And it wasn't too long after that. So, you know, I think that did play a role, actually, plus having some travel experience already in Southeast Asia. It kind of played a role and be like, okay, this is definitely the way to, to go is going to be some uh, calm, calm approach versus going crazy because obviously I had no idea what Dhaka Bangladesh was like. So that seemed to be pretty reasonable. Um, and I felt at the point at the time when I realized it wasn't too dangerous that I had already had decent enough experience that, uh, yeah, things would be okay in the end. Still remarkable to have kept so calm. And it's really yeah. cool that your travel experiences like the Vipassana retreat yeah. had kind of like prepped you for that stressful situation. So, totally. you know, travel can get you in wild and crazy nuanced situations, but it can also get you out of it in some sense as well. I think you have a unique skill set that's been procured on the road. Oh, for sure. And I also think that that is enough to deter people from traveling ever again. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to take the good, the bad and the ugly. That's a great point. It's a great point. But that's actually, that's another thing that I always try to focus on. So if I take that experience, so in the end, I was dealing with about four or five people during that kidnapping experience. Yeah. So if I hold it up to, I can just take Bangladesh to the 180 million people that are in Bangladesh. It's a pretty good ratio. So I'll take it. At the end of the day, my only point is I've been traveling for 23 years to 130 plus countries. So almost every country that people would say, don't go, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Yemen, Syria. I go to Iraq now twice a year. Wow. Honestly, nothing, nothing, nothing. This was the one time where that something sort of happened. And apart from that, nothing. I never felt in danger or anything. Sure, maybe I have a little more experience. So things, some situations maybe would have felt a little bit sketchy to other people who didn't have the experience, but I was confident enough to be able to handle anything. and. I'll take those. I'll take those odds any day. I mean, it's not. It's that's that's the reality from twenty three years of travel. Is that uh, the overwhelming majority of people are pretty pretty good, decent people out there. So yeah, that's amazing. So refreshing to hear. So is that a source of frustration for you? Because I had a, an experience in Africa. I was like living in Africa for a year, and on my very last day, I was mugged. Oh, and as the mugging was taking place, some part of my subconscious was dealing with the fact like, oh, now. People always ask, like, oh, is traveling safe? Is traveling safe? And my perfect record was being shattered yeah. as the as the fists landed. And did, was that a source of frustration for you as you were bunkered down for three days in a, in a kidnapping light situation? For sure, for sure. Obviously, you're like, oh, damn, like, now I got to explain this. If you, and I knew immediately people were going to be like, oh, and I know how it goes. And I see it now. If something happens in Bangladesh, people don't go to Thailand. Yeah, well. <laughs> It's Asia, right? So, like, I find like the you know we kind of have a little bit of a distorted view of how how that stuff works, and uh, it makes a whole region scary just from one incident. But I really, I probably annoy a lot of people with how much I try to explain that in all of my travels. That's like the one story. I mean, I love it. I love it. That's the one story. I mean, in twenty three years of being everywhere, I mean, literally, I just got back two weeks ago from leading a tour in Iraq. I mean, you should have seen the faces of other people 
you know, who are on the tour, like how shocked that how amazing the people are in Iraq, like how amazing, how many, you say that you're from the U.S. even, plenty of reasons to not be very welcoming, but uh, just incredible, incredible. It's and, and that's the kind of stuff, that's the reality. So if stuff, some stuff happens, I it's unfortunate. And unfortunately, that stuff gets the bigger headlines. You know, like, for example, your, your experience, people will probably remember the mugging part of everything you told them about Africa. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, like they'll remember that, which rightly so, that happened. Uh, but I'm sure there's a lot of very positive stuff that will now be, uh, you know, knocked down a couple layers in terms of uh, what people remember. Yeah, lots of things happened that weren't a mugging. Now it'll just be like, remember that time you went and he got mugged in Africa? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's how it works, unfortunately. <laughs> one one question that travelers always get asked, and you'll obviously be aware of this, is like, what's your favorite place? I think like what's your favorite place you've been? It's like such a it's it's the chant of the non-traveler that gets kind of repeated to us all the time. Yeah. But I was struck just then when you mentioned Iraq. What place have you taken people to on your tours that you've been struck by their reaction to it? Like What's your favorite place to introduce people to? Because I imagine as such a eminent traveler, introducing people to places must be like this quite unique experience, like seeing the world through other people's eyes. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. I would say up until recently, it was always India because a lot of people want to go to India, quite hesitant to go to India. Definitely read plenty of news headlines that talk about negative stuff in India. They feel it's not going to be safe to walk around. They're going to have to watch all the people. And usually within 24 hours, everybody's more than happy and comfortable walking around Delhi on their own. That's how it is. And they're like totally surprised that like, wow, these people are actually, I don't feel any negativity whatsoever. I don't feel any threat. I don't feel any danger and everybody's super friendly and helpful. So always has been India uh, on the highest level until now Iraq, because Iraq, I think, People obviously have their idea of what it's like over there. And I would say out of any country that we operate tours to, it is the 100% most different than what people imagine than anywhere else. I mean, you cannot imagine, you just can't imagine. Like you cannot imagine how it is, the place, the people, none of it. None of it will really match what anyone uh, has in their mind just based on what we read online. Yeah. And just on that note then, if, if our listeners want to book a tour, to Iraq, say, with you, um, one, how do they do that? And two, do you find those tours more difficult to market because of Iraq's current reputation? Um, so first, all of our tours are on wanderingearltours.com. So we list them all there. We, we There's a newsletter you can sign up to so you keep you updated about new tours that come out and stuff like that. Um, honestly, that the first tour, it took a little bit of time. The first Iraq tour took a little bit of time to sell. A lot of communication to be like, are you sure? Are you sure? Like, <laughs> yeah, understandably. But it sold out eventually. It took about five, six months. Um, we just announced the second tour two weeks ago. Uh, it sold out in about six days. Right. So I think, uh, and we already have a waiting list of people that are ready for the next one. So, oh, good for you! Amazing. Which I totally get. I think a lot of people wanted us to do it once first before they. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the guinea pigs. That's totally it. understandable, but it really could not have been. I mean, massive success is an understatement. And um, yeah, it's so, so now I think uh, it's a place that people realize. Even the, I think the New York Times, I think it was the New York Times, just posted an article just coincidentally a couple of weeks ago that was something like why more people should visit Iraq. And it was all about how it's much different than what you think. And it's visa on arrival. It's quite safe. The tourism is actually starting to pick up there. So it's, you know, and I think that helps a bit uh, to start getting some bigger media promoting that side of the country and uh yeah it'll be good for the people there that's so great it's beautiful that you're doing that do you get a mix on the tours of experienced travelers novice travelers what's the clientele like yeah it's pretty pretty much a mix uh yeah it's it's uh, all over the place we don't get a we get some couples but generally it's mostly solo travelers or people i might have a family back home but just only one person comes uh, but yeah it's quite a mix uh, mostly uh, mostly U.S., U.S., Canada, European based. I would say Western European uh, based. Most most of the people uh, who join the trips, but um, yeah, all ages and uh, they're quite flexible trips. We really like 
the personalized trip. So regardless of what your interest might be, we really try to shape it so that everybody has the experience that they want to have. So we have like extra drivers, extra guides on hand all the time in case, for example, if you're a school teacher and you're really interested in visiting a local school, we have the transportation to make sure that you go have the school, even if other people aren't interested. So we kind of, we make sure that everybody does have the experience that they want, even though it is a technically a group organized tour, but we leave a lot of room to, uh, yeah, to make sure that uh, those experiences are had as well. So. Amazing. What a unique and pioneering thing in, in the travel space. I think yes. tropologists looking to kind of experiencing something slightly off the beaten trail in terms of travel. We talk a lot about <laughs> Southeast Asia being like backpacker training ground and like the, the levels of different continents as you grow, as you kind of travel and experience yeah. new things. So tropologists looking for something unique, wanderinghilltours.com very interesting there you go (laughs) a lot of places out there that's it okay well i think we'll we'll round off the episode if that's all right with uh an email question from a listener cool and derek if you could help us answer it that would be that would be great We have an item called Hostel Common Room. So we kind of invite our listeners to imagine walking through the doors of a hostel. You enter the common space and sat there is Adam and I and then Derek from WanderingEarl.com, three statesmen of travel prepared to answer any questions that you might have all about what the hell is going on in terms of the travel space. So Adam, have you got an email in mind that we can ask and and Derek can help us answer? That's it. I'll read it out now. Let's go. So uh, the email starts, Hey guys, Amanda from Munich here. Really enjoying the podcast. Keep up the great work. You speak about traveling as if it's a legitimate career choice, but what can a person do to become a better traveler? Which areas should people focus on and learn about? Looking forward to hearing your thoughts, Amanda from Munich. All right. That's a good question, for sure. It's a great question. Thanks, Amanda. Yeah. Hey, it's a loaded question. I mean, to be a better traveler, <laughs> yeah, to be to me, to be a better traveler is is focusing more on the interaction side of it, of it with the you know with people and really like uh, like you guys were saying about being having a smile on your face, focusing on kindness, and putting the social media away for a bit. Obviously, we're going to do it. That's fine. But I think taking a period of your travels and making sure you focus on the other aspect of it, really just going to places that people aren't, even if it's just a town, the next town over another neighborhood from, you can be in Berlin full of tourists, but go to a neighborhood where there's not so many, just meet some people. And I think that's going to give you a very different insight and it's going to help you. Yeah. Come away with a, with a different set of rewards and, and something that you can share with people back home. And I think that's a big thing for being a better traveler is to, gain something very genuine and real that you can share when you go back home. And that's usually going to happen through these kinds of interactions versus taking a photo of the waterfall. So it's just how it is. Nothing against the waterfall. Sure, it's beautiful. But (laughs) focusing on that, um, just because that's the idea, right? We learn from travel and we share it so that other people can, can benefit and have a more complete understanding of the world as well. Because as I assume we'll all agree is the more we understand about the world through firsthand experiences, the less misunderstandings there are and the less, honestly, overall problems there would be. And that's that's what it's about. So that's how we can be better travelers to make sure that that process actually uh, happens. Amazing. That's a lovely response. Adam, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, just also, I guess, on the topic of interactions, I think that learning languages is also quite important. I know that, Derek, you speak at least one second language. Yeah, uh, yeah, my Spanish. I speak Spanish and then... Uh, conversational in a, in a couple yeah yeah <laughs> and of course that that allows you to elevate your experience and I think um have a sort of deeper experience as well with with local people so um if I know it might seem quite daunting because when we learn languages we often think of the finish line before we've even started yeah. and we think you know oh my god I'm so far away from ever being fluent but if you just take some effort to you know learn a few words and then you can add some phrases and then before you know it yeah. uh, you know it might just be entering into a shop and asking someone how their day is but that oh, that will yeah. uh, change your experience immeasurably yeah 100 percent. totally agree with that yeah 
for me as well, answering the question of being a, a better traveler, Amanda, all I would say is definitely the, the philosophical approach to travel. I think get your head straight with regards to how you're viewing it and your perspective. Definitely, we've talked about this paying it forward mindset towards kindness with other travelers. And, and definitely that's going to be an intrinsic part of your own happiness on the road. If I was to give you some material advice, I would say, uh, minimalism is really useful when traveling carry on backpacks make it way easier to get on a motorbike taxi or stuff yourself into a tuk-tuk so take a carry-on backpack and be kind to others that's my advice with regards to being the best traveler you can be hey, simple but important perfect yeah i like it exactly are you carry on as well derek just a carry-on bag mostly carry on mostly carry on now sometimes if i'm going for a longer period or on certain tours that i need to bring some stuff that i yeah, but my suitcase is, uh, I don't have a backpack, so I actually have just a small 40-liter uh, suitcase. So can be carry-on, but I can also uh, check if needed. Yeah, so. good stuff. And then the, the transition to maybe a more stable location, shall we say, is that going to be a strategic position somewhere in the world, or <laughs> is it going to be sort of back home where you're from? So none of the above. Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> ideally strategic would be ideal but uh in the end i realized i just need to pick a place and despite the fact that i've traveled for 23 years i have realized that i'm still not going to feel as comfortable as i would feel in the u.s instantly so i have decided to do it in the u.s i'm originally from boston but uh, it won't be there uh, it's looking like it will be in north carolina cool yeah, it's a tricky, it's a very tricky one. I realize this, I just need to pick a place. But uh, I kind of thought if I don't have to concentrate on bureaucracy, visas, different tax situations, all this kind of stuff that I would have to deal with, say, setting up base with one of the visas that's available in Europe, that also might be nice for a change to like, give my brain a little bit of a, of a rest from, from logistics. So that's the idea. Anyway, it'll be a one year experiment. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Absolutely. Amazing. Well, Derek, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. It really has. Over two decades of travel experience, more than 130 countries, a kidnapping in Bangladesh and a human approach to travel, amazing tours all over the world crazy crazy experiences taking people to unseen locations like iraq it's been such a pleasure to speak to you all about your work in the travel space people who are listening to the podcast can visit wanderingearl.com or book a tour at wanderingearltours.com and i just hope that all tropologists can unite and have a shared experience of travel in whatever way that means to the listening audience thank you so much for coming on the podcast Cool. Thanks, guys, for having me. Awesome chatting with you. Uh, yeah, that's super fun. And um, and by the way, Bangladesh is pretty cool. So I don't want to. I don't want to leave with it on a, on a bad note. I didn't mean to. Uh, despite my kidnapping, I just want to yeah. give a plug to Bangladesh. It's a cool destination. I'm going to head to Bangladesh really soon. I think actually, I'm going to be heading to that part of the world. South Asia's next awesome. on the list, so awesome. we'll be there soon. <laughs> but an interesting tale you told, nonetheless. I'll I'll tell you which taxi driver to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> so important, so important. Yeah. With that, Adam, I don't know about you, but we'll say goodbye to Derek and stop living in the present so much. Let's blast off into next week, the future. I'll see you there. Let's go. Are you ready? I'm ready. Thanks ever so much, Derek. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks again. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.